Welcome to a Friday edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, a late Friday edition. I am Ashley Bastock here with Chris Fedor. Chris, we had our final day of practice availability today. Of course, we will be at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse tomorrow for game one of the first round series between the Cavs and the Knicks. So this is going to be a nice little preview pod, kind of wide ranging, discussing how we think the series is going to go here. So um, Chris, overall, I think first we should give start out with what our subtext subscribers, what your subtext subscribers were mm. thinking about this series. Um, so we'll go over what they said first, and then we'll give you information for how to sign up for something like that, because this is one of the uh, ways Chris uses it is getting input from those subscribers. So when I was looking at some of the answers, when you asked them to kind of predict the series, how they thought it would go for the Cavs, I was seeing a lot of Cavs in six or Cavs in seven <laughs> yeah. and a lot, which like understandable, they're Cavs fans. Um, I'm still kind of waffling on who I'm going to pick personally, but I do think it's interesting. A lot of fans are pointing out something that I know you've pointed out in that they think the home court advantage is just yep. going to ultimately be the key here. That's the thing, Ashley, when when you look at a series that you think is tightly contested and you're just trying to make an educated guess on what's going to happen because of the NBA and crazy things happen all the time um, and it's sports and crazy things happen all the time, just in sports in general, um, you usually try and look for like, OK, like what kinds of things could swing a series? What kinds of things could be the difference? And sometimes it's the smallest stuff, right? And I just keep going back to one thing. Like, one, I think the Cavs are the better team. I think yeah. they have shown that throughout the course of the regular season. So I think they're the better team. I think they have the best player in the series in Donovan Mitchell. And they have home court advantage. And if you get into a game seven with those things on your side, oftentimes that's the thing that swings it in your favor. So I just keep going back to those realities. And that's why I keep um, thinking that the Cavs are going to win this series. Yeah, I do think it's kind of hard to deny that. I think for me, the biggest, my biggest waffling on whether I think the Cavs are going to be able to pull this off. Like, I do think they're the better team and, mm. and all of that stuff. I think Donovan Mitchell is probably the best player in this series right now. But I just wonder about the experience factor mm. and this ability to counter adjust and adjust and kind of do that chess game style of reacting to those adjustments that you kind of have to do in the playoffs. It's something I wrote about that for a story that's going up on Saturday morning. Um, but looking at some of these replies from your subtexters, like Donovan is also obviously a name that comes up repeatedly. Um, and it's also interesting to hear there's some reaction about, I'm getting looking at this text from the 309 area code about thinking the Cavs could win in six, but it's going to be a hard fought series and it might not be the best sign if Donovan has to put up 40 on the Knicks every night. Yeah, you know, I'm fascinated to see, Ashley, what approach Donovan's going to take. Because we talked to Donovan today, and we were trying to get mm -hmm. into his mind going into the series against the Knicks. And, like, when March hit and the Cavs started to play in meaningful games with high stakes, Donovan looked around and kind of had a recognition of, like, these guys haven't been there. These guys don't know this. These guys haven't played in these kinds of meaningful games down the stretch. I kind of have to turn it on in order for us to win these games and lock up the fourth seed and lock up home court advantage. And I'm just wondering if he's going to go into tomorrow's game. And he said 
earlier today, hey, look, I'm just going to take what the defense gives me. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to take every shot on this team. I'm going to do what I think is best for our team. But I'm just wondering if he's going to look at the guys around him and say, you know what's best for our team? Is like me take all that pressure. Me take the ball handling responsibilities. Me take the scoring load. And at least for game one, while Darius tries to find his way in his first ever playoff game, while Evan Mobley tries to find his way in his first ever playoff game, and and while Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and some of these guys play in their first playoff game in like three, four years, you know what I mean? And I'm just fascinated to see like how Donovan views the Cavs supporting cast and what he thinks is going to be required um, from him for them to win this series, or at least win game one to start. Yeah, I have one thing to add about Donovan, but first let's get, again, these predictions came from Chris's Cavs Insider subscribers via subtext. So if you're interested in being a part of that, um, go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue banner at the top of the page. You get, you know, to participate in, in question and answer sections like this one. Um, you get mm. all kinds of insider information, insider reporting from Chris that you're not going to get anywhere else from anybody else. Um, you can also text 216 208 four four nine nine to get a part of that um if you have interest but what i was going to add about donovan i thought it was so funny today to kind of hear him thinking back to basically giving this answer which we've heard from so many of these experienced guys before about (laughs) you can't know how you're going to react until you're in it and he told this great story about his first playoff series in 2018 that they were playing the thunder. And he's like, I underestimated like how I was going to feel actually going out there, like playing against Russell Westbrook, playing against mellow. And I get yeah. out there and I'm going so hard in the first media timeout. I looked at the bench and said, I think I'm going to throw up. Like he was so <laughs> into it and it was so intense and he was going so hard. So like I, I, that to me again, just kind of comes back to, okay, how are Darius and Evan and mm-hmm. Isaac Okoro, if Isaac plays, how do they, they all kind of handle that pressure. And then to your point, like how much does Donovan have to take on when you have these young guys who, you know, it might be like, I think like a split second decision at times for him of what he's going to do, depending on how these other guys around him are reacting. Yep. You know, it's interesting to me and you brought up the experience factor and that has been the Cavs greatest um, adversary since the beginning of the season. That has been the thing that a lot of people have felt like separates the Cavs from the Bucks and the Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? Like, like teams like this that don't have this kind of playoff experience, they usually don't advance very far in their first playoff foray. You know what I mean? Like they have to go through failures. They have to um, go through certain steps and then maybe next season or the year after they will learn from that and they'll be better off because of that. And they'll be able to make a deeper run. Um, But I keep going back to something here. Like the Knicks aren't the Bucks here. Right. Right. Like they're not the Celtics and they're not the 76ers. So we've seen Brunson get the better of Donovan. We've seen Julius Randle thrive in a postseason environment. But R.J. Barrett, no. Sure. Quentin Grimes, no. Josh Hart has never been to the postseason in his NBA career. So, like, if you start looking at some of the guys that the Knicks are going to be relying on mostly, just like when you do that with the Cavs, you start to say, 
like maybe the lack of experience that the Cavs um, possess is going to be offset by the fact that the Knicks lack some of that same experience as well. So if there is a team just from an experience factor, like if there's a team that the Cavs would want to play in round one, I would say from an experience factor, it would be the Knicks. It's not like they're playing against Miami here. It's not like they're playing against the Atlanta Hawks that went to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago. Yeah. No, that's a valid counterpoint to the experience argument. So I guess we're sitting here on the eve of this game. We're not, we're in the 24 hour window of when this game is going to probably end. Quite honestly, we're recording this at almost 10 o'clock. So Chris, <laughs> I guess like, I know you gave, you know, a quick prediction on Monday with Hayden, but how, like, what's your prediction for this series and and feel free to expand on that. However you want on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think there are things that are going to make this a tough series on the Cavs. Um, I think there are advantages that the Knicks have coming into the series. They're very good from three-point range, and the Cavs, because of their pack-the-paint defense and protect-the-paint defense, they are known for giving up an abundance of threes. Um, I'm not sure who is going to guard Jalen Brunson if Isaac Okoro is less than 100%. I don't know if the Cavs can consistently keep the Knicks off the glass and keep the Knicks from getting second chance opportunities. Like there are different things that I think um, favor the Knicks, but at the end of the day, like I think the Cavs are a better team. I think they've proven that throughout the course of the regular season. They're one of three teams in the NBA that was top 10 in both offense and defensive efficiency. Uh, they were number two in the NBA in net rating. They have the best player in the series in Donovan Mitchell. Um, They have Donovan, who has been to more playoff series than anybody on the other side, not named Derrick Rose, and Derrick doesn't even play for the Knicks. So I think um, when you have this kind of tightly contested series, competitive series, I lean towards the team with the best player and home court advantage, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go with the Cavs in seven. I think it would be very, very difficult for the Knicks to come into Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in a game seven and win that game on the road, despite the fact that the Knicks have been one of the league's best road teams this year. Yeah, I think that's ultimately kind of where I'm landing, too. I was either going to go probably, I was debating between Knicks or Cavs, obviously, from how you Mm -hmm. heard me at the beginning, but I do think you make some really valid points, and I do kind of tend to go with this team that I've watched for most of the year, kind of pull out the improbable, and I think when you look at their matchups with the Knicks, especially this last one, it's so hard to use that for me as a gauge for like how anything's going to go. And so many key players didn't play, like you didn't have Randall for them. Cavs didn't have Jarrett. They didn't have a Coro. Like it's just hard. So I I'm with you. I just think Donovan Mitchell is going to do everything he can to like will them to a win. I think Darius Garland is really going to shine in this kind of environment, even if it maybe takes him, you know, a half or a (laughs) game, even a full game to get his bearings. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cavs steal one in New York either. um, Even if the Knicks end up stealing one in Cleveland, but I do think that game seven is going to be really critical. So I'm going to go with Cavs in seven as well for my official prediction. And we'll see if I change my mind overnight. <laughs> but that's what it is right now as of 9.52 p.m. on Friday evening. So 
like when we get into the the reason more of the reasoning behind this and why we think the Cavs are going to win, I guess there's a few things to watch. So let's first talk yeah. about some key matchups that there are in this series that you think you know have to go the Cavs' way in theory. Well, Donovan's got to be the best player. Like it starts there, because I'm excited to see what Darius is going to do in this series as well. I think he's built for these kinds of moments. Um, but but I'm just there's part of me that thinks that the Knicks are going to throw a lot at him yeah. and they're going to test his ball handling and they're going to test his decision making and they're going to test his poise and all those different things. Um, and I've also seen, you know, young guys go into the playoffs for the first time and be a little bit overwhelmed initially. I don't know that that's going to happen to Darius. I'm not saying that it is going to happen to Darius, but it could. And I think the fact that he hasn't been in the postseason um, introduces a layer of uncertainty to this. So because of that, like Donovan's got to outplay Jalen Brunson. That's the bottom line. Like he's the stars have to be stars for the Cavs. And if I have a level of uncertainty about Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, then it's got to be Donovan winning his matchup against Jalen Brunson. I know that sounds very, very simplistic, but at the end of the day, like, Part of the reason why the Cavs are the four seed, a big part of the reason why the Cavs are the four seed um, is because of Donovan's brilliance. He played at an MVP level. He might be first team all NBA. He's got to play like that guy for the Cavs to win this series. Yeah, it's funny. Like looking ahead, one of our topics we were going to do, or prompts, I should say, I guess, is the Cavs will win this series if. And my that I was thinking of immediately was, well, Donovan Mitchell has to play like he's the best player on the court in this series. Yep. And I think that's, I think that's really true. And then for me, just like the other matchup, I mean, regarding Jalen Brunson is if Isaac Okoro plays, like he's got to shut him down. Like that's the other part of this, right? Because we know like Donovan's not going to spend a lot of time on him because they can't have Donovan expending that kind of energy on the defensive floor. Um, So I think those two guys, I mean, it's going to take kind of like a tag team effort on both ends of the floor for me in that way to kind of cancel out whatever Brunson's going to go off for. I'm right there with you, and, and I've been kicking this around too. If if it's not Isaac, in, in the moments where it's not Isaac, who is it going to be on Brunson? Or in the moments where Isaac is not being enough of an offensive threat or knocking down his outside shot to take mm. pressure off of Darius and Donovan to keep the floor spacing that the Cavs need, um, especially in this kind of pack-the-paint series, like, who's it going to be? Karis LeVert? Probably. Yeah. Right. Like he's probably the only other guy that you look at and say, you know, he's got the best chance other than Isaac to neutralize somebody like Jalen Brunson, because it would just be too much to ask of Darius or Donovan, given the offensive load that those two guys are going to have to carry throughout the course of this series. And by the way, like (laughs) part of the reason why the reputation Donovan came to the Cavs with on the defensive end of the floor was because he could not slow down Jalen Brunson whatsoever. In last year's playoff series. Right. Like they're obviously very familiar with each other in that yep. format. And I'm sure Jalen Brunson is like was like foaming at the mouth after that, you know, with how sure. Donovan's reputation went like after that. I mean, it just is like you said, it's so much part of the reason why he had the defensive reputation he did coming into here. Yep. Um, and you know, another big matchup, obviously inside, and I think this is maybe part of the our X factor prompt, which is next, but um, inside Jared Allen, Julius Randall, I mean, rebounding with this Knicks team is obviously going to be huge. And Julius Randall hasn't played since he sprained his ankle in March, right before um, 
the last Knicks Cavs game when they when the Knicks were playing the Heat. So I'm really curious to see how he's going to look, but I think the rebounding and what the Cavs can do inside is going to be huge in this one. Yeah, I think they've got to worry about Mitchell Robinson in a big way. Mm. I mean, he is somebody, obviously, in the most recent matchup, the Cavs did not have Jared Allen, and that was a big key. They did not have Isaac Okoro. That was a big key. But Mitchell Robinson just pulverized the Cavs on the offensive boards. Like, I think he almost had a double-double with offensive rebounds. Like, he That's didn't even insane. have to get defensive <laughs> rebounds to get to yeah. that level. I mean, he was just everywhere. Second chance opportunity after second chance opportunity. And, um, you know, he's the kind of guy with his physicality, with his activity, that has given the Cavs bigs some problems. Um And the Cavs have the number one defense in the NBA. They pride themselves on that. But the key is you got to finish those possessions, right? Guarding them for one possession is one thing. But if you have to start guarding the Knicks on the same possession two, three times, then it starts to get problematic. And I think part of the reason why the Knicks were able to score 130 on the Cavs in the most recent meeting is because, you know, they had 16 offensive rebounds. They were plus 13 on the offensive glass. The Knicks are number three in the NBA in offensive rebounds, and Mitchell Robinson is the reason for that. So dealing with him, um, putting a body on him, keeping him from being his active self, that's going to be really, really important for the Cavs. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we're going to build off of that, talk about what could be some X factors in this series. And like I teased earlier, the Cavs win if Chris will give his answer on that when we come back. And welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Chris Fedor, Ashley Bastock here. We're previewing the Cavs and Knicks matchup. So Chris, what do you think the X factor could be? in this series or X factors, I guess, depending on which way it goes. It's interesting, Ashley, because I think a lot of people would say Karis LeVert and maybe you're going to say Karis LeVert and Donovan Mitchell said Karis LeVert, (laughs) you know, I was going to say Karis for the record. (laughs) I, I hate to disagree with Donovan or anything along those lines. And I get the argument for Karis. I really do, especially in a matchup where they're playing against the Knicks and the best bench in the entire NBA in terms of, you know, total points. But like, I'm looking at Mobley, because not only is he going to have to spend time guarding Julius Randle, but I think he's going to be really, really important to their offensive success. Because I think Tom Thibodeau is going to try and get the ball out of the hands of one of Darius or Donovan, maybe both of them. Right. And I would expect multiple defenders at times when the Cavs run their pick and roll heavy stuff, and they are the most pick and roll heavy team this side of the Dallas Mavericks. That introduces a second defender to that ball handler. And that means they could trap whoever it is, Donovan or Darius. The outlet for that is going to be Evan. It's got to be Evan because of his playmaking skills. So that means if the Knicks do decide to trap, then the Cavs are playing four on three and the ball's in the hands of Evan Mobley. And he's the one that becomes a decision maker, kind of like Draymond Green for the Golden State Warriors. And JV has talked in the past about how Evan is a great passer and how him playing in the pocket, he's one of the best young bigs that he's ever seen play in the pocket. 
And I think that's going to be a big responsibility for him offensively. So when you combine that with the fact that he's got to deal with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle, and he's probably going to have to switch onto Brunson or even R.J. Barrett at times based on the schemes that the Cavs are going to have. Like, Evan Mobley is a big, big deal in this series um, for the Cavs at both ends of the floor, and he's going to have to grow up quick. And it could be his coming out party for the national audience that may not realize just how much of a unicorn this dude is. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to bring up Evan now because I was thinking I saw on Twitter, you know, today when the NBA announced the finalists for defensive Mm -hmm. player of the year. And Evan is one of them. And all these people who can just tell, like, don't watch the Cavs are like, why is (laughs) why is Mobley in this? Mobley's the one out of place here is because it's Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brooke Lopez are the other two. Correct, Chris? Right. Yep. So, like, everyone who doesn't watch the Cavs regularly doesn't get what he does. But, like, I'm with you. Like, I I totally don't blame you for making him your defensive player of the year vote because of the way he can alter game plans, of the way he can guard basically any position. I think that's right. key. And, like, to me, the passing aspect of it is, like, a sneaky, underrated part of his game. Like, it's just not yeah. something that's talked about a lot, but it makes sense why he's so good at it because like he came into the NBA with a really high basketball IQ. Like people were talking about that early last season and he just sees the floor. Like he can really read what's going on around him really well in a way that I think a lot of bigs in general don't necessarily thrive at doing. Yep. And if you think about it before he decided to have the huge growth spurt and turn into like seven foot Gumby, um, you know, he was a guard. He grew up as a guard and his dad like taught him guard skills and made sure that he could handle the ball and he could pass the ball and he could play out on the perimeter. Um, And that's one of the things that makes him special. And there have been times right throughout the course of this year where he just hasn't tapped into that playmaker um, that he has inside of him in part because, you know, the ball is in the hands of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio and Karis Levert so much, but Against Atlanta in late March, six assists. Against the Knicks, five assists. Against the Houston Rockets, five assists. Against the Miami Heat, six assists. Against the Detroit Pistons, six assists. So that is there inside him if he gets that opportunity. And I think he's going to get more of those opportunities just because of what I expect the Knicks to try and do to minimize, um, as best they can, the playmaking and the attacking of Darius and Donovan. And let's just go over the Karis LeVert of it all really quick. Yeah. Because here's what here's what Donovan had to say today. Um, and it was interesting because I think he, he kind of brought this up. The question wasn't, I don't believe, who you think the X Factor it was going to be. No. Was gonna be. It was more like along the lines of, is there so, anyone who you've like particularly noticed that's extra locking in and he mentioned right. Karis Levert and he mentioned Jetty Osmond and with Karis he said I like wish Jetty, Jetty was such a wild card answer in such that a wild card answer <laughs> he was so wholesome too today when we talked to him like right. I I like introspective Jetty like when we get that and I haven't gotten to experience that a ton but yeah. I know you were the one who asked him but we'll go back to Karis quickly but I know you asked him about like it's such an 
interesting path he's been on with this organization because his rookie year doesn't really play. He's on that last LeBron team. He goes to the finals, and then he has to be a part of this rebuild, like going from being one of the best teams in the league to literally like the worst team the next year. Um, So he was very good talking about that. But I did think the Jetty was also kind of a wild card answer. (laughs) But with with Karis, Donovan said, I've sensed he's talking about what they're doing, and he says whether it's through hitting shots, through being in the right spots, talking things out. I think those are the two guys that I've seen. I've sensed that with Karis for about three or four weeks now. You're starting to see a different shift in him. And I've said he's going to be the X factor, going to be a big part of our series. I'm excited. I guess like when Donovan says that, what do you interpret that as meaning in regards to Karis's play? Well, it seems like Karis has been more comfortable since March hit. Um, He's been more comfortable in his role He has found his place with the second unit. Um, He understands when his minutes are going to come, when his shots are going to come. And if you think about it, Ashley, at the beginning of the season, like the Cavs were still figuring things out. What lineups work, what lineups don't work, what combinations work, what combinations don't work. And like a big part of that was Karras. Like, does he fit in the starting lineup? Should we bring him off the bench? Is he going to be a guy who has the ball in his hands? Does he have to play off the ball? Can we make him our defensive stopper, low usage versus high usage, like all those different things. And I feel like of all the people that remain on this roster, he has had to sacrifice more than anybody else. And I don't think the role that he's been put in is like the best one for Karras to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's it's what the Cavs need from him, and he's willing to do it because he's that kind of guy, and he's all about winning, and he's all about the team. And I think he just needed more time to figure it out. A lot of people just look at it and say, well, figure it out. Like, you're mm-hmm. an NBA player, you're a pro, figure it out. But it's like when you're being used in a way that you've never been used before, and you're so used to being used a different kind of way, it's going to take time. And I think I see more comfort with Karras. I think I see more confidence with Karras. He's not second-guessing things. He's not hesitating. Um, He's not, like, just standing in the corner waiting for the ball, practicing his shooting form. You know what I mean? Like, he is heavily involved in what they do at both ends of the floor. And I think JB has found enough opportunities for him to have moments of being Karras and then other moments where he can just blend into the fabric of the team. Yeah, and I think with, like, position changes, or, like, I guess not necessarily a position change, but, like, a responsibility change even. And it's funny because we've been talking about this a lot with the Browns and, like, Greg Newsome and to have Mm -hmm. a little crossover pod moment, like, wanting to play outside corner versus slot corner and the reasoning behind that. Like, and I always say this when I've talked about that and talked about, you know, Greg's public displeasure with that move is winning cures a lot. Like if you are making a personal sacrifice for like your stats or your playing time or having to learn how to do something new when you've been a pro for a few years, it makes that transition a lot easier when you are winning games and it's all fun. Like, because I think when you're losing, that's when you start to see these guys, like the individual comes into play, the ego comes into play more uh, because nobody's happy when you're losing a ton of games, but this is a playoff caliber team. And I think that has maybe eased Karis into some of this over the last year plus now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Like, if he was making all these sacrifices and they dropped to, like, the sixth seed or the play-in tournament, it would probably be a little bit different. 
But I mm-hmm. think the other thing that he understands, he's been around the league long enough at this point. He's 28 years old. Think about that. Like he's right. one of the oldest guys on this roster. Which is crazy. Like, <laughs> I, I think he understands that not everybody's going to have the Donovan Mitchell role, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to have the Darius Garland alpha role. Like sometimes you're just going to have to take a lesser role. And the Cavs tried it with Karras in the starting lineup, and they decided that they needed something else. And, and Karras had that conversation with JB, too, and said, I'm probably better if I'm playing away from the ball-dominant guys so that I have a little bit more freedom in the second unit. Um, and I think because of that, like that acceptance from somebody like Karras, I thought was really, really important. Whereas like if he would have been the best performer in the preseason – and he would have, quote unquote, won the job, but they went with somebody else. I think it probably would have been hard for him to accept that reality. You know what I mean? But like when he saw an opportunity to start and saw that it wasn't working as well, I think he was like, oh, okay, you're probably right. Put me in the second unit where I'm away from the ball dominant guys, and I can probably be more like myself in that kind of role. You're right. We'll do it that way, and that's what's best for this team. All right, so last point here that we wanted to hit on. I mean, I send my answer for Cavs win. If so, Chris, what is your answer? How will the Cavs come away with a series win in this one? This is a three-pronged thing. I already said the first one. Oh, gosh, you have a PowerPoint, bullet points. We're going to be here all night. (laughs) (laughs) I already said the first one. Like, Donovan's got to be great. Donovan's got to be MVP caliber Donovan Mitchell. Um. Beyond that, I think the Cavs have to find a way to limit the three-pointers from the Knicks. Um, They attack the paint. Um, They're going to get in there. It's going to happen. And it's so much iso ball. That's what I'm saying. Like, Jalen Brunson's going to beat guys off the dribble. It's just going to happen. Like, Julius Randle is going to pulverize some guys every now and then and get in the paint. Like, this is a team, the Knicks, that does not pass the ball. They um, are one of the league's worst in terms of assists. So their style is going to allow them to like create off the dribble and get into the paint. And oftentimes they're going to be looking for those driving kicks. And I just think the Cavs can't panic when guys get into the paint um, and allow that to leave open shooters. I think... um, being that the Knicks are eighth in the NBA in three-pointers, I think the Cavs have to make slowing that aspect of the Knicks offense down more of a priority than maybe they have in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like, they have to finish their defensive possessions and keep the Knicks off the offensive glass. We talked about this. The Knicks are third in the NBA in offensive rebounds. They obliterated the Cavs on the glass in the most recent matchup. Like, there are questions about Jarrett and Evan and their physicality and whether they can be overwhelmed and overpowered physically. Like, the Cavs have to make a concerted effort, whatever it takes, body on a body, box out, um, make sure that you're in the right spots, uh, don't get out of position. Like, they have to keep the Knicks from getting second and third chance opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely key, especially when you talk about the pace with which these two teams can play. Yeah. If this gets into a grinded out, 
right. half court kind of slog. You don't like you said you you can't afford to be giving the Knicks multiple shots on one right. possession. Like you, you just can't. I think that's a huge point here. Yep. And um, again, like Jared and Evan. Obviously, it starts with them, and they have an opportunity to like change what the reputation is that has been attached to them in terms of sometimes there's a lack of physicality. Sometimes they can get bullied a little bit. Well, mm-hmm. if you keep Mitchell Robinson off the offensive glass and if you handle Julius Randle, um, you can go a long way in terms of changing that reputation. All right, Chris. Well, we have a ton of stuff. It has been a long day. We will have a ton of stuff <laughs> publishing tomorrow week. morning. It's been a long week, but I feel like this day has been like three days in one. <laughs> um, so we both, I believe, have stuff publishing tomorrow morning ahead of the series. So be sure to check that out ahead of the game, which is at six. We'll both be at the game. We'll have stuff post game. Chris and Hayden are going to do a pod post game. All of that is over at cleveland.com slash calves. And of course, while you're there, I hit it up top when we got some feedback from our subtext subscribers there. But sign up to become a Cavs insider if you're interested. That's at the blue banner at the top of the page. There's also a sign up option at the bottom of every Cavs page. You'll see Chris's little picture from like a press conference in like probably 2017 (laughs) or 2018. I know it was the LeBron (laughs) years, Chris. Um, You'll see that at the bottom. You can also text. 216-208-4499 216-208-4499 and get signed up that way. Get all your insider information because there's a lot coming. If you haven't noticed by this influx of pods, there's a lot coming over the next few weeks. So um, be sure to check all that out. We will be back tomorrow, I technically, I guess. And Chris, yeah. I will see you tomorrow at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. I'm looking forward to it. The environment should be really, really good. Uh, the arena should be really lively. And um, based on everything that we have heard from the Cavs throughout the course of this week, they seem ready for this moment. They seem like a team that has been waiting and going through the hardships that they had to go through in this rebuild to get to this point. And they're savoring that they're here. And nobody seems rattled by this whatsoever. We'll see what happens when the ball is tipped. But as of right now, it seems like they're ready. How's that for a tease? All right, folks. Catch you soon.